This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And Zupan's Markets is bringing something brand new for those of you and us who are dog lovers in Portland. When you shop uh, in the hot weather, it's especially disconcerting to figure out how to get that done without uh, leaving your dogs in jeopardy. Now, Zupan's has a thing called Dog Spot, and they're little dog houses that are air-conditioned that you can, where you can leave your dog while you shop. It's secure. As I said, it's air-conditioned, and uh, it's a pretty cool idea. You just download the app. Court will give you the information. Plug your information in, unlocks the door, and it unlocks it at the end when you're done shopping to pull your dog out. It's fan- I tried it this morning with Oakley, and uh, it worked flawlessly, and I was able to watch Oakley while I shopped. That's pretty cool. The app is called Dog Spot, so you want to download that. And then uh, typically it's about 30 cents per minute, but right now... Zupan's pup, one big long word, is a promo code you can use and receive 90 minutes free when you sign up. That's just get your shopping done quickly and get yeah. out there. Dogspot app. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also at Zupan's, they have, of course, fantastic events. You got to go to Zupan's.com and look under the events tab. They have really nice dinners, but this uh, this weekend, Floral Design and Wine. Yeah, Chris, Floral Design and Wine, that happens on Friday. And then because there's always stuff going on, you've got Spanish wine tasting on August 10th. Uh, On August 16th, my wife's birthday, the Hatch Chili Festival. That's always big at Zupans. You can get all the details, as Chris mentioned, on their website, zupans.com. Just clicking on the events tab. And, of course, while you're there, don't forget to sign up for the news feed where there's always a benefit coming your way for a getting the inside scoop coming up on the 23rd and 25th of the month, uh, 20% off all olive oil. So look for that in your email if you've signed up for the newsfeed. Don't forget three locations to serve you, Lake Oswego, McAdam, West Burnside, and where, Chris? Zupens.com. Here it is. It's time for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And over there with the P hat with the Oregon State likeness mm-hmm, in the middle mm-hmm. of the P. It's not just the likeness. I guess that is the likeness, yeah. Well, it's the border. It's the it's the shape of the state. Shape of the state. And the P. You're Patent looking, pending. You're, you know what? <laughs> I got to take more fashion advice from you. Uh, and then you're wearing like a, you've got a radio. I got a radio shirt. t-shirt on. Who's that? It's, a, it's our hip hop station. Because, you know, I'm the epitome of... Oh, their, it's here. Yeah, We 96.3. We? Yeah, it's a little... probably. You're not, are you a big hip-hop guy? No, not really. Yeah. I'm, I listen to podcasts now. I'm not much of a commercial radio guy. The only commercial radio that I've listened to in the last five years would be your station, kink.fm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like to uh, spread the love, so I uh, rarely will wear a kink t-shirt to work but i'll wear other stations well, you don't want you don't want to walk down the road and have the uninitiated get the wrong idea either. that's true true that's the story <laughs> or the right idea story, i don't know Court. story of our life yeah exactly i don't i yeah. don't know but at any rate um speaking of media right because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about yep we have michael russell from the oregonian and oregon live on with us and we didn't get to ask him about his podcast no, nope, we, we haven't heard in a while. It was uh, it was one of these times where uh, I started recording. I typically start recording right at the beginning. A lot of times they're walking in, 
and, uh, and that's mainly done so I can adjust the levels right and get all that going and then and then oftentimes a more natural conversation will start between us and the guests right however with with uh, Michael it just like boom 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 Right, and we were moving right along. Right, and I had to point out to him that we. Oh, by the way, been, we're recording. Yeah, we are recording, and yep. we'll just go with this. But we didn't get to ask him about his podcast with Gary, the foodie, uh, that they've been doing, where they talk about food around the world. So, in this case, we're talking with Michael about food in Portland and his recent top forty list. Um, and you know, he caused me in the middle of the podcast to go really look at that list again because he asked me to knock one or two out. Uh, right in favor of Erdinetta, which I thought should be on there. Sure, but and, but a fair but a fair question on his part because I'm sure he's hearing from all sorts of people like why isn't in this why isn't this on the list why isn't this in your top ten right and I think he he, he asks it back okay if you're going to add that what goes away right and uh, as I say I'm not qualified to make that decision because I'm not eating out as much as he is right so there are there are plenty of restaurants on that list that I've been to but maybe not for. Quite a while. So how how do I decide whether to they that they belong there or they don't? So, um, but I still thought everybody's going to have a dispute with a list, especially if it's a top ten, top forty. But I'll tell you what, that his list is pretty. The point I was about to make, yeah, the top ten list is solid. Some of those people, some people will disagree with me out there if they were number fifteen. Um, but the top 40 is a pretty solid list. If, if you're not thinking about it in terms of here's one that didn't make it, but if you just look at the list and think, you know, are these restaurants that I would recommend to somebody, they're all, it's a solid list. Yeah. And, and it's easy to come up. No, it's not easy to decide on the top 40, but there are easily 40, 100, 150 great restaurants oh, in right. Portland that you could put on the list. Yeah. So in that respect... It's not hard to come up with a great list of. 40. He wasn't hurting to come up with the forty. Is right, what you're right. You don't have to reach very far. Yeah. The the challenge is whittling r- it down to the. 40. Yeah, whittling it down. Yeah. So, and I'm glad. I'm not a big list person myself because I don't think everything should be. Yeah, well, that's very. It's very subjective. Sure. Um, but he does a pretty good job. I would think collectively, a lot of people would come up with similar number, similar list to. What Michael came up with, sure, um, you know, with some some differences, mm-hmm. but uh, Michael's always been very gracious from the time that he came out as a food critic, meaning that he used to be under the radar, that no one was supposed to know who he was, what he looked like, yeah, exactly. And then one day he made the decision that he wanted to be part of the food community, yeah, and he wasn't able to do that, um, being under the radar. So he came out on our podcast and we discussed that and. Um, He's been on a few times, and in this case, I don't know, we, we kind of came in with the idea that he would talk about the top 40. We barely got through the top 10. and Barely. Mentioned, mentioned some places in the in the rest of the 40 and yeah. some that weren't right. on there. So, But I'm more curious about how life is as a critic for Michael, and uh, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him, and he handles it very well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to take things personally. I'm sure he's got... He, I don't think he could. He would have lasted this long in, in that job if, because I mean, every everything you put out, you're just inviting people to complain to you about it. Right. Unless it's unless it's something with great praise, right. And you're not rating it. Uh, you're just saying positive things, then of course that can happen. But um, he seems very happy in his position, and uh, I think we're lucky to have Michael. He's he's been. I don't. I forgot to ask him. 
how long he's been doing that. Uh, but I, I'd say it's a good 10 years at least. Yeah. Maybe not that long. Close but to it. Close to it at least. So he's been, uh, he's got a good perspective uh, and able to write from uh, knowledge of the Portland food scene, not only from the breadth of the number of restaurants, but from the years and the development of this food world. So it was cool to have Michael on with us and it went really fast. Easily could have done a two hour podcast with Michael. So we should probably have him back. Yep. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupan's on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupan's.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures. Tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astrid Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. And by Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands, where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. Are you able to um, go out to eat without without having a critic's palate and eye? Are you able to just... No. You can't. You no, can't just eat can't. without criticizing it. <laughs> yeah, it's really not fun to eat out with me anymore. Yeah, no, um, I was wondering that because uh, sometimes... I, frankly, sometimes I like to drop everything and just eat. Like if I'm in a city in Europe, I don't want to look up anything. I just want to go down the street and walk in and just eat and enjoy and not worry about if it's the best thing in town mm. yes fomo i get fomo big time i think that the time i can turn it off is when i'm eating at friends houses and then sometimes they worry that i'm going to be like overly critical of whatever they're cooking but it's actually the opposite that's the time when i can totally turn it off and just enjoy whatever i'm eating you know right but they well no matter what you tell them they're still gonna think they got a food critic in the house <clears throat> Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I have yeah. this syndrome where people, you know, I'm not a critic at all. I'm just a, yeah. I'm just a consumer, and I've started a few things that celebrate people and and food. That's all. And so people always introduce, not always, but often introduce me as a food critic, and I hate that because I don't want anybody to be on guard and worry about what I think. I just want to enjoy it. So you you get that all the time. Yeah, the toothpaste is out of the tube on that one, unfortunately. But, you know, maybe in a future life, I won't have to worry about that as much. We'll see. Yeah. Well, do you ever long for that life where you don't have to think about writing about food and uh, <laughs> and thinking about it, worrying about it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, uh, 
you know, it, it's it's hard to think about career change when you are starting a family, which my wife and I are. We, you know, we just had our second kid in a little over two years. So it's, uh, I think for us, we just kind of want to, it, it's not a great time to rock the boat, I think. And then maybe for some people, they have kids and it's like, okay, well, now I have to change my whole life around. But for me, it's like, I have a good job in a great city. You know, we have a house. We, um, you know, we, we like living here. Um, and, uh, who knows what the future will hold, but for now, um, I think I'm, I'm pretty set. Good. Yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you should be looking to make a move because I don't, <laughs> but I, I think you got an awesome position in a great food city and you've been here for a while. So you've seen a lot of, a lot of changes. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing, but I just wonder, in addition to what I just asked, do you ever get tired of, well, it's kind of the same thing, but do you ever really just get tired of the food? Like, is it, do you just want to just worry about movies or something else and not think <laughs> about food all the time? I, you know, I moved out to Manzanita and I created some food balance for myself. I cook yeah. shitty meals for myself and I don't mind that. It doesn't matter. There, you know, it's just one more day, and I'm getting through to the next. That's the way I look at it. Um, and I have my great food opportunities in Portland and elsewhere, but I don't. I don't want to care all the time. So I'm just wondering if well, you have that same syndrome. I wasn't really talking about me. Well, I think Jonathan Gold once told me, and I know he said this a lot, that um, you know some things in life are are best left unexamined. Uh, he would talk about, you know, love, for example, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't want to be, you'd never want to be a love critic, uh, cause certain things you just want to be able to enjoy. Maybe, uh, right. maybe, I- maybe at this point, you know, who knows? I wonder if, uh, if there's any, uh, uh, restaurant critics who moved on to other things, um, uh, who listen to this podcast, uh, can tell me what, what it's like if there's, if there's life after criticism, can you go back to just, uh enjoying a meal or are you going to be like oh well we had our first course 40 minutes ago where's the where's the main (laughs) i think that for life i bet you chris onstad has could make some comments on that (laughs) i think we've talked to him about that but you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because having been single for a long time one of my Uh peeves was the dating world all anybody wanted to talk about you know, when you when I was out with women, they just oh, not all, but often wanted to talk about relationships. And then I I thought when I was in one for eighteen years, we never discussed it or love. But when you're not in one, that's what you're talking about. So that's uh, that is a little bit of a parallel to what you were talking about is um, you know talking about it or not talking about it. And um, anyway, I'm just curious about that because it's good that you like your job because you'd be thinking about different things. And it obviously you haven't even thought of it really because you just mentioned you're happy with what you're doing and you're not looking to make a career change. Anybody who wasn't happy would have had a different answer to that question. <laughs> well, this turned into a very kind of like, uh, you know, introspective start to the podcast, man. I thought we were going to Talk about my restaurant guide. But, well, uh, we are. We're talking about life this is happens. part of it. We're ta- we are talking about the guy who wrote the guide, right? So, <laughs> so we need to know what your perspective is when you're doing it. And I always find I always find food criticism very interesting, and especially in this day and age. So, your top forty list affects a lot of people. Um, yeah. On Facebook, I can say I can think of about ten restaurants who 
you know, they have to word it properly, and generally it's all worded the same way. We're so proud to be in the uh, company of 40 great restaurants. Thank you, Oregonian. And, you know, I, can't, yeah. I saw that over and over again. And, that, that's you know, they have don't have to, but it's nice that they're proud to do that. And no one in Portland is bitching that they didn't come in number one. Um, Not publicly. Yeah, well, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> do you get some through the back door that maybe someone? Uh, do you get uh, what, what was I doing at number thirty six? Do you get yeah, some of that? I mean, you know, I'm gonna I'm not gonna out anybody, but um, no, I'm just looking generally speaking. Do you hear some of the? Do you get some of those complaints? You know, do you get complaints generally speaking? I'm not looking for names, but just yeah. uh, people who didn't like the position they were in, or I'm sure you get them they, that they weren't on the list at all. Yeah, yeah, I hear it, and um, you know, I'm not—I don't want to like name any names for the people. I, mean, I think they're just venting, and that's fine. I don't really take it too seriously. I mean, I think people know that it's a personal list. It's my list. It's not—you know—this isn't like written in stone or handed down from God or anything like this. I, I'm just one guy who, you know, I like certain things. I don't like other things, and you know, uh, I think it's influential because of the reach of the Oregonian where, you know, we go out to a couple hundred thousand households and then it's, you know, our website's very popular, but I don't think that that, I mean, it's certainly not the word of, of, uh, a law or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I did hear a lot of people were kind of upset. Uh, uh not everybody, some people liked it, but I had a restaurant, a Vietnamese soup restaurant called Rose VL. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty high on the list. They've been in the, in the, in the 10 to 15 range for the past couple years for me. Uh, I had them at 11 this year, which it might seem high for a place that really only serves two soups a day. Yeah. Uh, but this place, which is the sister restaurant of Javiel on 82nd, uh, and it's where the founding owners went when they handed off Javiel to their, uh, to their son, Peter. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a remarkable (laughs) restaurant. And I think if you kind of take a step back and look at it from, you know, a 10,000 foot perspective, I think it's, probably one of if not the premier vietnamese soup destinations in america at this point um and you know i the the guy doesn't i don't think about the guy in terms of like what tourists think about i'm there all the time um i'm at rosviel you know at least once every couple weeks sometimes i go on runs where i'm there multiple times a week and so i know their menu very very well I think they're fantastic. I love the I love their backstory. You know, sort of uh, fleeing Vietnam after the war uh, as refugees, reuniting in Portland, starting a small business that has now been written up in you know every magazine in the country. And you know, I take critics who are visiting. You know, people who write for you know GQ or Bon Appetit or whatever. Like the first time I take them there, their minds are usually blown, and then they that becomes like the first place that they go when they're in town. Um, so for the people who are kind of complaining about that, um, about that restaurant being in the list, um, it really makes me want to put them in the top 10 next year. Um, oh, do more complaining. Awesome. It'll just go the other way. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I mean, it made me think about, it made me think about why I put them so high and why I love them so much. And, you know, some people are like, oh, well, the, 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 the pho place on my corner makes better soup. And it's like, well, no, they don't. You know, I mean, I've had that. I've had the place you're talking about. The broth is, you know, filled with sugar. It, it's too sweet. The chicken, you know, they're getting, you know, pre-cut chicken breasts. They're not like roasting off their own chickens in the back and, you know, breaking them down for the soups. Like there, there's a level 
behind the soups at Rose Viel that, you know, very few people in Portland are touching. I mean, Teo Bumble on 82nd as well, their chicken pho is definitely on the level of Rose Viel, but they really only do two or three soups every day. It's the same. Um, it's the same three soups. So, whereas Rose Viel cycles through as many as maybe 16 or 17 in a week. Okay. And I, I personally don't dispute them being on your list. I, I, I would not, you know, there are a couple of restaurants I think should be in the top 10. I, I wouldn't argue one way or the other. I've always thought, coming from the East Coast, that pho and soups, Asian soups, get a lot of play here that I wasn't used to. Like, is yeah. it seems very important to a lot of people, and for me, I just <laughs> ruin true. my shirts. So that's the way I look at it. Well, so, if you've lived in Portland long enough, you know some, like, Blazers maniac who is into sneaker culture and Vietnamese soups and you know, lives and breathes the uh, Rosebiel lifestyle. Like, everyone has someone like that in their life, I think. And um, it sort of breeds, uh, addiction's probably the wrong word, but, you know, fanaticism. Right. Of, well, uh, it's a, I, I think it's a West Coast thing because obviously we're closer to Vietnam here. So, um, but I, and yeah. I just sent you a picture, as a matter of well, fact. Well, it's not just that we're closer to Vietnam, it's that, you know, the Portland metro area sponsored a lot of Vietnamese families to come here after the war. So, well, that's you know, why they, they that's... talk about this kind of like L-shaped uh, 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 thing, where it's like Seattle, Portland, L.A., uh, Houston, New Orleans, and that's where a lot of the Vietnamese families settled after the war. I mean, Minneapolis also has a pretty strong Vietnamese scene. Um, so, you know, of course, I mean, I think for the next, it's really interesting that we haven't seen this like second generation Vietnamese restaurant. I mean. You see places are kind of trying to do that. Um, there's like Luke Clock downtown or Anchoy or um, that's by PSU. And then what's the place? Fish Sauce. Um, um, I'm, there's a couple others that I'm missing where, where they're kind of like serving a similar menu, but they're sort of glossing up the space and making it look nice. And, you know, the next step would be a second generation Portland kid maybe or someone from out of town opening something where they're digging a little deeper into the cuisine, some of the things we don't see here, or maybe experimenting on it with their own riffs. Um, you know, there's a, a cart up on Alberta called Mata, M-A-T-T-A. Mm-hmm. It was one of our best new food carts over the summer. And they um, are all about Vietnamese comfort food, Vietnamese soul food. And they are um, sort of serving things that you just don't often see on menus here. And they're making it, you know, sort of from scratch. Um, it, it, it's, you know, the, I don't know that they're like the most polished professional cooks. So over time, I'm looking forward to seeing it growing. But it's, it's a really cool idea. I hope that they turn that into a restaurant because I'd really like to see where they take it. I, I love that you're saying that because in my mind, I think it's good that someone's doing something different and they can build a different, if they built a restaurant, something a little different. Um, but that's, I want to touch on that after we cover your list a little bit, but, um, what I want to touch on was, you know, what's going on in the Portland food scene. There's not enough room for everybody any longer and the cost of entry is higher. So that food cart is going to have a little tougher time finding brick and mortar world than it would have 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think I think that's the case. Um, but let's go over your uh, your top forty list. I don't know which way you want to cover it, but you on um, in uh, 
you know, your article, you cover bottom to top. So I do bottom to top. But let's start with the, maybe we'll start with the top 10 since that's the thing that everyone jumps to anyway. Yeah. And, and they're probably none of them, if anybody's listening to this podcast, probably most all of them are familiar to people. So it's a matter yeah, of how, how you rated so. them. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's do that. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> well, no, you start with your, well, start with your number one, which wasn't a surprise to me, but, um, and well, it wasn't a surprise to you. That's interesting. Okay. No, uh, I mean, put it this way. You know, I would, would I have yeah. done my own list and put that atop? I don't know. I don't go out as mm. much as you do. I couldn't yeah. do it properly. So it's not fair. But it, okay, having so, been to Kennard a number of times, that yeah. didn't oh, yeah, surprise okay, me. Okay, you said it. I was gonna about to say so we could maybe insert a drum roll, but uh, it's too late. So, yes, the number one this year is Kennard. Um, so that is the sister restaurant to Le Pigeon. Um, it's run by, uh, you know, this is the, uh, the third restaurant under Chef Gabriel Rucker and his uh, uh, manager and partner, Andy Fortgang. Um, it is... And the way I kind of wrote it up in the in the guide is it's sort of a, a throwback to the early days of Le Pigeon when things you know it was kind of a simpler time and they could kind of throw whatever they wanted on the menu and and just have fun with it. Um, I believe that Le Pigeon, sorry, I believe Canard has gone through something like eighty three dishes on the dinner menu already. Um, they've been open just over a year, um, so that's a lot of dishes that they've cycled through. Um, more if you include their breakfast. Um, there's just like a wild amount of creativity coming out of this restaurant. And the dishes that people will know and have heard of are um, the steam burgers, which are these like White Castle-inspired burgers where Rucker and um, uh, uh, Gabriel and his uh, uh, CDC there, uh, Taylor, they take um, French onion soup mix, they mix it through the burger blend, um, it's kind of slider sized and at happy hour, it's only $3. Um, it's got mustard. It's got, um, like a couple of different relishes. It's got American cheese melted all over it. And it's really, really delicious. I call it the best new burger to come out last year. And I, you know, I don't think there's many people who disagree with that. Um, that's sort of the, the hallmark dish that, and this, like this duck stack, which is a, uh, a, a ridiculous over to, over the top pancake stack that you can add foie gras to and you'll probably need to take a nap afterwards. Uh, but the rest of the menu, a lot of things keep cycling out. The salads change a lot. Um, we were there the other day and they had split open a bag of um, Tim's potato chips from the Northwest, just the most you know, basic everyday school lunch potato chip you find here. Mm -hmm. And they threw in some champagne crema and caviar. Uh, so they turned this sort of like, you know, everyday item into something that felt pretty luxurious. Mm -hmm. Um, and they served it like a Frito pie in the chip bag. Um, All right, I saw that. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty fun. What about the foie gras dumplings? Those are the ones I hear about a lot. I've had those. Those are delicious. There's also these delicious, like, dry-fried chicken wings with a buttermilk ranch that are awesome. I mean, there are, like, ten dishes that are just, like, you have must order kind of things. And I think if I'm only... If it's surprising that they're at the number one spot, it's only because they're so new. And I keep new restaurants off the top 40 for their first year. Um, so, you know, they went from not on the list to number one, basically, although they were at the top of my new restaurant guide last year as our restaurant of the year. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I know I know they've gotten a lot of press. People really love them. It kind of makes sense that they're number one, but I think it's surprising that it happened this fast. I also think if someone, I've had friends come to town and they've, uh, you know, often people say, where should I go? Well, of course, the next question is, what do you feel like or what are you yeah. in the mood for? But I think that's a safe one just to say go without having asked that question, what do you feel like? Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've been uh, thanked for that from a few friends. Who I've yeah, and t- they're open from 8 a.m. to midnight, right. so you can it, drop in any time. It's usually and, not so busy, you know, even when it's busy, it's not, they, they can figure it out. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I love everything about them. I love how approachable they are. There's no dish over $20, and right. most things are closer to 10 15 And they're all shareable. Um, and a lot of Portland restaurants, the prices just keep creeping up and up and up. So to have a place that's that creative, that fun, open that many hours, uh, with a great happy hour and the price is kind of where they are. I, I just felt like it was the kind of thing I wanted to celebrate um, this year. I I think it was a good celebration, but where does that leave? And I'm not looking at the list per se on where everything is, but where does that leave Le Pigeon? Or is that still um, attaining uh, what it has always attained over the years? I mean, there's a little bit of energy that has to be drained off. Um, but it's, yeah, that's, that's a tricky thing. And then, uh, you know, as I'm building my list, it's a question of, you know, do I want two restaurants from the same chef side by side? You know, do I want that to be one and two? I mean, I think if it were valid and, and it, uh, and it made sense, I would do that. But, you know, I also want to spread the love around. That's, that's one of the hallmarks of the, of our top 40 list is kind of trying to, trying to spread it. You know, I don't want to have seven restaurants in the top 10 from the same chef per se. So right. uh, Le Pigeon moved to number six this year, mm-hmm. um, which is a still top 10 restaurant. Um, you know, I think I've had probably the best meals of my life period at Le Pigeon. Um, and I think it's still totally capable of that. Um, I just feel like Canard is of the moment. You know, everyone's trying to do this French, you know, new bistro kind of thing. And, and they're, they're taking it in a different direction. They're doing the, the all day cafe thing. Of course, the drinks list is great from um, Andy. He's he's one of the best uh, wine guys in the city, so it's got everything. Pausing here a moment, Chris, to talk about Ringside Steakhouse, which, if you recall, we mentioned this the last couple of weeks here on the podcast, has now shut down briefly for briefly. some renovation. Don't cut off no. the podcast before you hear the word briefly. Briefly. It'll open back up in mid-August. After some renovations to the bar, early August, (laughs) after some renovations to the bar, (laughs) as well as kind of reconfiguring some of the areas. So I think you can have some private parties there a little easier. Yeah. And so the bar is going to be redone. You know, Jimmy's been there for years Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of the folks, uh, Andy, they'll be operating from upgraded quarters soon. Um, And I want to mention the, um, if you stay tuned... Uh, it, I believe, not a hundred percent. I can't. I'm not going to divulge this, but but Ringside is going to have some new happy hour stuff going on. Ooh! And we know they have that great happy hour. Yeah, we already have on one of Sundays. the best ones in town. Right, but they're gonna they're gonna revamp that as well. I believe. Yeah. Don't hold me to it. Don't hold me to anything. Right. <laughs> Other than the experience you have at Ringside. Is second to none. It's right. Like you the, can hold us to that. You can, you know, it's guaranteed. Right. Uh, the best service in town, the best steaks, the best seafood. It's, it's perfect. Right. It's really a nice place to go. And, you know, in a city with all sorts of new things 
going on, it's really nice to have a classic like ringside that you can always rely upon. And we're we're talking about so many different things like prime rib on Mondays, prime Mondays. Right. And also the thing, I've never been a filet person, but that grass-fed filet Mm -hmm. that they have at ringside is fantastic. And of course, the world famous onion Onion rings. rings. Never forget those. Yep, onion rings. Uh, Setting up reservations is super easy. You can just go to ringsidesteakhouse.com. I often use the Open Table app. I think that's where when you go to Ringside, I think that goes to there. And the other cool thing about Ringside is once you become, you make a few reservations, they get to know you. They They know where you want to sit. Yep. They know maybe what drink you would like. That's a nice thing to have happen. So don't forget, once they are back open in early August, you can set up those reservations. Ringsidesteakhouse.com. I thought you might actually be more interested in my number two. Oh, yeah. No, I was happy to see your number two at number two. I'm a big Jose Chessa fan. So, um, yeah. that And they, where was that last year? I didn't know where it came from. I think it jumped from seven. And okay. I was I kind of surprised myself putting them at uh, the restaurant's called Atala. Um, they're in northwest Portland. It's a tapas restaurant from a chef named, as, uh, as you said, Jose Chesa from Barcelona. So I was a little bit... Um, you know, I, I had them outside the top 10 for the first few years, and then I moved them into the top 10 either last year or a couple years ago, and I thought, you know, that, like, number seven was a good place for them. Um, uh, definitely deserving of a top 10 spot. But as I was kind of going over my notes and reviewing all the dishes I ate for this restaurant guide for because I revisit all the restaurants on the list, plus many more every year, um, yeah, I mean, this, the food he's putting out right now... Um, it's really hard to top in terms of the combination of that creativity, the execution, the skill. Um, and I, I surprised myself putting it number two. I, I was, uh, you know, I thought they were kind of comfortable in that, the back half of the top 10, but um, they're, they're, you know, Jose's skill is on the level of, you know, Katie's up at Coquine. And, but, you know, I think he, it seems like he's just having a lot of fun, um, at a towel these days, you know, I, I maybe, maybe Chesa, his second restaurant had to close for him to refocus his energy, um, in Northwest Portland. But the past, I, if you go back and read my reviews from the past two years, I've been talking about how, how fun the restaurant has is and you know, how much energy there is there. And this was the year where I kind of was like, now, wait a second, why am I putting it at them at seven? If I had some of the most delicious things that I had all year, uh, time after time, um, so, you know, I don't know if they'll last long at number two. Maybe they'll, you know, pop back out or, you know. Well, you it's, a know. Tough, it's a tough Fun. town. There's a lot, there are a lot of talented people there. So no one should be, he would not, I, I can't tell Jose how to feel or Christina, but if they were to go down to number five, I don't necessarily think, <laughs> yeah, they have egos, I'm sure. But I think the opposite of my, you know, that goes to my question about Le Pigeon and Canard when you're diluting some of your energy to different places, Jose isn't worrying about Chesa any longer or making churros either necessarily. Other yeah, than, that's right. So um, you take all that energy and all that talent and concentrate it back into one place. And yep. uh, that's maybe why that happened. And, you know, he, he is passionate and he does really care about his profession. Um, you know, there's, I know him very well, so there's no... There's I know no, you guys have done stuff together. Yeah, well, we've traveled together. I've had the good fortune of traveling in Barcelona with him, so I've 
seen him. But the funny thing about I've always said this about Jose, when we traveled with him in Barcelona, you would never know. He's that insanely talented chef. He's just a regular guy yeah. in Barcelona. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've often said that about Atala, that he, he could kind of just transport a whole cloth to Barcelona, and I think he would do well. But, I mean, that being said, I do think, like, the first few years, um, I felt like they were an odd fit for Portland. Um, you know, the space didn't look like a Portland restaurant, and the food was very personal to Jose, and sometimes... It was so personal that, you know, it didn't really mean anything to me, at least. I don't, you know, it may have meant stuff to other people. But I'm someone who's, you know, has some familiarity with Spain because I lived there um, uh, when I was in my 20s for a year, albeit in southern Spain. But I traveled to Barcelona a lot, and I dated a young woman from Barcelona. So I have some sense of the the excitement and creativity of the food scene there. Um, but those first few years, I just wasn't totally sure that I was... Uh, you know, enjoying things on the level that he maybe was hoping. And the change, I don't know if there's been a change or I, I, I don't know if Portland's sort of grown to meet him or he's adjusted his style to meet Portland. I don't think he's cutting corners or, 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 or dumbing things down. I just think maybe he's got a better handle on what the city wants, you know? Um, well, yeah, he'll tell you about his, uh, his tortilla, why he makes it. A little differently than he wants to make it. Um, mm. That's kind of interesting. That's interesting. What's yeah. that story? Well, I don't want to speak for him, but in yeah. in Barcelona, it's a uh, little less uh, it's a little less dense and it's a little softer. And uh, he tried that here for a while, and people thought it was underdone, and so he had to adjust it accordingly. But again, I don't want to know, speak uh, for Jose and. I don't necessarily know that's something he wants everybody to know, but only the people who listen to this podcast. Too late now. Well, well uh, you know, it's interesting that um, Toro Bravo has switched up their tortilla in the past few years. I mm-hmm. think I think they are, maybe it's an homage to the Madrid restaurant, Con Amor, which has done a few mm-hmm. pop-up events with uh, John Gorham. Which I had but the pleasure he, of going with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, with yeah, John sure. once. So, so their tortilla now, is it, it's like a... It's like a quick, you know, quick seared omelet. I mean, it's a bit like a. Um, That's a proper tortilla. Like a can- Cantonese, uh, you know, like a scramble almost. It's that level of softness. Right. Um, and it's really, really good. And, you know, I, I, I can't help but reference Toro Bravo when I talk about Atala or vice versa because, you know, Toro is like remains one of the funnest restaurants to eat at in Portland. And I went there with an old friend for the guide this year. And we, um, I think we got there at like nine. Cause I, I had to, I put the girl, my girls down to bed and then went out, you know, went out to meet the, my friend and the place was completely packed at nine at nine thirty. you know, right. starting to, uh, fade a little at 10, but for Portland, there are very few restaurants that can be full and full of energy at anywhere close to 10 p.m. Yeah. And you see lots of restaurants that come out of the gate in the media, you know, telling me or whoever that they want to stay open until midnight every night, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then, like, you turn around and, and all of a sudden they're closing at 9.30 on, on most days or 9 p.m. And it's like, you gotta you got to respect that about Toro Bravo that they can do that still. Um, 
Well, almost now, all of John. Oh. I think now those two restaurants have kind of flip flopped in my guide because Toro used to be in the top ten, and now they're in the um, early twenties. And and Atala obviously has gone from the the tens or the teens all the way up to number two. So that's been a big shift. But I mean, I think that just shows um, the level of food that Jose is putting out at Atala right now. Yeah, he is, and and but also. Uh, regarding John Gorham's restaurants, a lot of them are like that. I, I'm not at them all the time, but they, you know, one of his tenets is to have a big party every night at his restaurants, and that's why it's yeah. full at 10 o'clock. But MEC and Shalom, um, they're all yeah. doing very well, and he's moving Plaza del Toro. I'm curious about that. Um, so, uh, and Spanish food was, I think, what was it, a couple of years ago? It seemed like. Portland was all things Spanish for a while. I wonder if that's going to continue. Well, we had those two, like, you know, side-by-side Spanish food festivals. Right, things. exactly. That was, that was strange. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, the tapas, the peak of the tapas thing in America was, like, when when Toro Bravo opened. Like, right. 05, 06, 07, 08. If you went to any decently-sized American city, there was going to be a new hot, tapas place and that that style of eating that sort of like small plate sharing style of eating has transferred to every cuisine everything in the world yeah. but you know i don't know that spanish food has ever really taken off and i you know people did reach out to me about atala being that high i think people were surprised by that and you know somebody said oh you just like spanish food too much you don't know what you're talking about you know you get a lot of that kind of stuff so but i'm I, I kind of try to be objective as much as that's possible and just kind of think about what's on the plate. And, um, you know, well, you can I only do that so much because it is your palate. You pardon me. It is your palate. So you can only be objective. Yeah. So and I'm much to the choir, but that's okay. So, so let me also, um, ask you how much you're influenced by outside sources, by buzz on Instagram or wherever you happen to see, by guy, people like Gary Okazaki, who you dine out with periodically, how much are you influenced by them? And I think that helps to be influenced by others. But do, are you aware of how much you're influenced by others? Am I aware of how much I'm influenced by others? Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm on Instagram. Um, so if I see a dish that I like, um, I might order it. No, but I, I mean, collectively like, speaking, you'll see a lot of buzz. Like when when um, Bullard opened, I saw so yeah. many dishes posted and so much praise yeah. lavished on it. And that, you know, it could or could not be worthy. That's not a personal thing. That what You see that with a lot of restaurants. Are you influenced by that? That might get you into a restaurant sooner, perhaps. But does it... Mm, does it I don't know. That's not... I'm the The way I eat is, you know... I'm a, I'm like a professional eater, so it's not, I don't really pick and choose the restaurants I eat at that way, you know, I'm uh, I try to eat everywhere, first of all, so there's no like, you know, oh, if I, if I see a place on Instagram I've never heard of, then that's exciting, like, I'll, I'll tell you, last year, I was scrolling through Instagram in the morning, and a post popped up for this breakfast taco cart. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a cart. I actually thought it was a brick and mortar, but they were serving these really interesting looking breakfast, breakfast tacos that had egg and bacon and some like really colorful bell pepper. 
and I kind of scrolled through their feed, and, and actually, it was like a promoted post. This was like an uh, so they paid to advertise into my feed. Essentially, I don't know if they were able to pick me specifically, but you know, they paid to advertise to foodies, basically. Right. So I look, and it's like, oh, they're doing this, like you know, uh, they have this cool San Francisco coffee roasters, coffee on. They have uh, uh, burritos and, and carne asada tacos, which look really good. And I'm like, I got to go. So I, I find out it's on 122nd Avenue, and it's part of this, like, cool Mercy Corps project where people are investing in a strip mall, essentially. So only neighbors within a certain amount of zip codes of the restaurant, which is way out in East Portland, can invest. And then you get dividends. So you, you only, like, you could be someone who only has $10 or $100 to invest, but all of a sudden you, you can invest in a project that will also help your community. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the restaurant, which I come to find was a cart, um, was run by a local woman who grew up in the area and her husband and her sister. And they made these great breakfast tacos. I was like, these are amazing. Um, Portland at the time wasn't really much of a breakfast taco town. Now we have. That's BBQ tacos, which are fantastic. But it was like such a find, and I, I wrote about it right away. Um, it was like just the perfect uh, a blend of kind of like healthy-ish, good breakfast tacos, but they also had smoothies and nut bowls, and I took my whole family there a couple times. It's called uh, La Osita, which means the little bear. It's the, their daughter's nickname. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, to say, I, I can't sit here and say that Instagram doesn't influence me because someone literally paid to advertise on Instagram and I was there the next day riding my bike out to check them out. Well, that's one thing, but also when you're doing your list though, does that, so in other words, if you're, I I don't know how much you're hanging out with Gary or not, and there are probably other people that you hang out with, but if Gary really likes something and just hammers it home, does that affect you? And I'm talking about Gary the foodie. To some extent. I mean, he's big on, um, Gary Okazaki, who's Gary the Foodie on Instagram, um, uh, I think that's his handle. He's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he is obviously sort of like the premier power eater, super eater in Portland. He flies around the world um, eating at Michelin-starred restaurants and also is usually the first person in the door um, at Portland restaurants. Um, when he can now, and- he's not able to do that as much as he used to. Because <laughs> he's always in Paris or exactly. Amsterdam or exactly. Vienna or whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, he's big. Okay, so the places he's big on are Castagna, <laughs> um, which he thinks is a like a could could get two Michelin stars, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I, I don't know if he, there's a little bit of homerism there, but I kind of have to trust him on that because I only get to eat at Michelin-starred restaurants when I travel outside of Portland because they Portland does it. not have the Michelin Guide. Right. Um but, uh, you know, I think they're, they're a solid one. I mean, there's, nobody's questioning that. Um, you know, that's his spot. He thinks Justin Woodward is, you know, one of, if not the most talented chef in the city. Um, I have Castagna at number seven, which I think he would think is, you know, at least four spots too low. Um, so that's the one side where I don't think he's really influencing me that much. On the other side... He's a massive fan of Hanok. We talked yeah. a lot about Hanok over the past year. He, you know, lives there after dark. It's his kind of clubhouse where he goes. I'm not sure how much he even eats there anymore because he's probably had the whole menu. But, um, uh, you know, he, him and I talked a lot about whether or not they're a top 10 restaurant last the past year because I had him 
just outside the top 10. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did sneak them into the top 10. And I, I do wonder if those conversations with Gary played a role in that. But I, I also think Hano, which was our um, restaurant of the year in 2017, the year before Canard, um, I think their food is awesome. I mean, it's a modern take on Korean food. Um, Peter is one of the most intelligent chefs in the city. I really like his riffs. And, you know, I think that it was their time to jump into the top 10, even if it was at the back half of it. So maybe that answers your question. I just do what Gary tells me. I I, I should be honest. I just, he tells me, he, he actually ranks the list. I don't, I don't touch it. He's got his own list. He doesn't need yours. He does his. No, and our lists are different. Right. And he loves the list. He's a list guy. Well, he would have. He would have Ordonetta in the top forty, and, and I, I would thought, I would have that in the top ten. So would you really? Yeah, I surely would. And I can't. And part of my influence is I love it, and I and I love the people. I I love JL and Javier and Andre and everybody over there. Mm-hmm. But I have never sent anybody over there who doesn't write me back or call me back and say thank you so much. That was. That was the, some people have said that's the best meal I've ever had. So that's why I was going to ask you and I didn't want to put you in the position to say anything less than positive about them because I love those people and I don't want to hear that. But, um, but yeah, I would put, uh, yeah, I would absolutely have Erdinand. What would you bump out? Oh, okay. Well, let me look at the list. Oh, is that fair oh. for me? I don't want to do that. I don't want to bump somebody, <laughs> but it's hey, fair. Dad, you can't say you're, you would put something in the top ten and not say what you take all out. All right, all right. Let me look. That. I'm going to look. Well, you these know, are all it's about difficult. The whole the whole forty and the top ten especially are about difficult decisions. Right, but it's not I mean, fair like, for me to make say, that right, decision because the top 10. all right. Well, let me say this: I would only bump out one that I hadn't been to very often. Because of the rest, I have to go by other people's opinions because I'm not out as much as you are or Gary is. So uh, I haven't been to Ava Jean's in three years. Or f- so where would I put well, that? Ava Jean's is not in my top 10. Oh, it isn't. Okay. You have a solid top 10 because I'm looking at it and I don't know who I would knock out, but I can, <laughs> I, can, I can easily go in your top 40 and pick out a few that I would knock out, not even having been there, because I just look at them and say, you know, little Conejo, can they be as good as Ordinetta? No way. There's no way. (laughs) Uh, They don't work as hard. Well, I don't know, but I'm just saying they're not, the food isn't as elevated. So you're choosing to put some of the, the, you know, more casual places places in there and and Ordinetta should absolutely be in there, but that's just, that's enough of that, but um, <laughs> no, I like this man. Yeah, I, uh, you know, obviously, I went to Ordinetta again for this guide and considered it. Um, I actually went with Gary, and he's one of their best advocates. And we had the uh, the, the dessert that he loves. It's a, a it's a it's a cheesecake variation that was mm-hmm. very tasty. Um, and I can tell that they are doing a lot of great stuff for the neighborhood. I, I think it's actually a restaurant that I. I think anyone would love to have within walking distance of them um, because they just are, they're, they're giving people a lot of fun stuff. It's a fun vibe. Um, it's there in the old former natural selection space mm-hmm. on uh, Northeast Alberta next to Cargi Gogo. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the bottom line is it's really tough to pick 40 restaurants and there are 20 or 30 or 40 that are just outside and that are, 
And you're yeah, always going to, it's easy to have an argument. Then. It's easy to have an yeah. argument on anyone. And I'm going down your list right now, and I do think it's very solid. Like, I can't find some that I would say, well, what is that doing in there? Except the ones that I haven't been to that are more casual, that I would question, you know, why isn't. But I'm sure there are a bunch of restaurants, in addition to Urdaneta, that could yeah. easily be in there if you were, you know, smoking a I different strain of face. pot when you were doing this. Who knows? But, um, I think that there's a lot of restaurants where if I were to expand it back out to 100, like I used to do in, back in 2016, that, that would make that cut. And I think Gordonetta is probably one of them. Um, you know, I think that uh, uh, I do try to have a lot of diversity on the list. Um, and I'm, just not, I'm not just using that like a multicultural buzzword. I mean, I, I try to have as many cuisines represented as I think are are you know, have restaurants that are good enough to be on the list. No. But I also try to keep the price point up and down. So you have a place like Little Conejo in Vancouver uh, that serves $4 tacos, which are actually on high end for That's high tacos, end for but, tacos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they are, you know, but it is a place you can go and have lunch for 8 to $12. Um, and, you know, the tacos there are made by a chef named Mark Wooten, who you might remember as the opening sort of sous chef or, you know, guy behind the guy at Notoguro, which mm-hmm. is this like extremely high end Japanese restaurant. Not only was he the, uh, a, well, not only was he helping out Ryan Roadhouse at Noto, but he was uh, growing a lot of the uh, produce for that restaurant through his Phantom Rabbit farm. So he left and sort of quietly opened this uh, taqueria in Vancouver. And it took me like eight months to get out there just because I didn't hear about it for the first six months. And then, right. you know, one thing after the other, uh, you know, usually traffic related made me not want to go. And then when I went, I was like, oh, wow, holy heck. They're like, this place is like, you know, they're grinding their own masa. Uh, they're nixtamalizing their own masa the way top restaurants like Chico and, and uh, uh, restaurants in San Francisco do. Right. And, you know, that is really impressive. Even if they're a bougie taco place or a higher-end taco place, it's really impressive that they're doing that for tacos. And then, you know, you combine that with really delicious fillings, like, you know, their their beef tongue, their fried fish is like, it's probably the best fried fish taco in the metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then I'm glad you and, put them on there, because I wouldn't have, yeah, it wouldn't have been I on my say, radar. I, I will say that um, I think I got more... Like, oh, I'm really glad you included X restaurant for Little Conejo than any other restaurant. And I think in part that's because I had them right at number 40. So it's like the first one you scroll through when you're going right. down the list. Right. Um, but yeah, people were, people were, people who've eaten there were pretty happy and psyched that I put them on there. Yeah. Well, that's good. And again, anybody can argue it. So you can't have the perfect list for everybody that we know. No, it's impossible. So, uh, and everybody's got different lists and everybody's got their There's own favorites. Next year. Right, and again, I don't feel like I'm qualified to knock anybody off because I don't go to enough places. Uh, my judgments, <laughs> no, my judgments would and largely be based on are, are old, they're stale. You know, a year, two, or three out on most of these restaurants. So, well, and then I think that part of, the other part of it is like you have forty restaurants to play with. How many Spanish restaurants do you think should be on that list? Right. Does Portland have three? fantastic Spanish restaurants. Now, I could see an argument for Ordineta over Toro Bravo. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, if someone wants to make that argument, I will hear you, and I will say that was not my experience on this. You know, if, if I were just ranking that one and two, that was not my experience this year. 
Um, but I just, at, at the end of the day, I just want this list to have as, to be as representative of the city at large as it can possibly be. And I'm not sure that Portland necessarily is such a Spanish restaurant town that, that we need to have three or four or five restaurants represented, you know? Well, I mean, it's a great yeah. cuisine, and there are a lot of Michelin star restaurants in Spain, too. So it's going to have that influence from far away as well. Too. But we don't. Yeah, no doubt. But and yeah, then you have a more traditional place like Canfont um, downtown in the Pearl District. Um, you know, they came in pretty hot when they opened. I remember seeing an interview with the owner saying, "We're going to bring Portland a taste of Spanish food that they haven't had right. before." Yep. And yep. you know, I, when I went, I actually thought that they were more traditional. Um, which maybe you could argue that's like there's a certain I don't know, it's more authentic or something to do more traditional. But then you have Jose Chesa. That's a guy who knows that cuisine so intimately that he can kind of do whatever he wants, and you know he he'll know if it's right or not. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. And by the way, where where's the Italian in port? I mean, there's some, but I mean, if we have so many Spanish restaurants, we don't have as many great Italian restaurants. I mean, we've got well, the my big three. The, yeah. yeah, my big three for the past however many years has been Nostrana. Renata and Ava Jean. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're great. A little bit boring. A little bit boring. And I have also included Luce occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, Luce being the sort of casual, um, affordable sister restaurant to Navarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and a place where you can actually walk in and have like a... I know they raised their prices this year, but it used to be you could walk in and have a 10 to $12 uh, uh, plate of pasta on the small side. But it it was really fantastic. I actually switched that up this year and included Navarre, the the parent restaurant, instead of Luce, mm-hmm. um, just because of that price update. And my meal there this year was maybe you know a half step down from normal, um, from what I'm used to at Luce. And that's a restaurant that was like number four on Bon Appetit's Best New Restaurants in America guide mm-hmm. um, a half decade ago. Surprisingly enough, it's a great little place to visit. It looks like an Italian pantry. Uh, with like black and white tiled floors, um, I love eating there, and that was sort of like my my wild card fourth place for Italian food. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's like Nostrana, Jeans and Renata in the ten to twenty range every single year. Right. Yeah. No, I think. And, and then it's like who's up, who's down, which is number one among those three. Right. That's the big question. But this year, I think it was Nostrana. Um, and I had a, a fantastically good meal at, at Nostrana this year. Mm-hmm. One of those meals that they're still capable of, where Every single bite was just so, you know, flavorful and, and, and perfect um, and balanced. And, you know, they're not the hot new thing on the block anymore. And I know that sometimes you go there and you look around the crowd and you're like, are, are all these people coming in from West Lynn or Lake Oswego? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is this, the real, is this the real housewives of Lake Oswego here? Um, but uh, There are people, you know, too. It's still delicious, man. <laughs> there are people, too, and it's still delicious. I mean... I wonder if Sunday Nostrano would open a spinoff restaurant out there or like a, uh, you know, I don't really know. But the uh, that meal was my favorite. Um, Ava Jean's pastas are have really held up. You know, they lost their sort of pasta wizard, Joe Marie Patino, um, moved to um, Joseph. Who's there now? Who's the partner, chef Rob. now? Who's the chef at Renata now? Well, Joe Marie was not the chef. She made the pasta, but her partner, Ross, Effinger, I hope he say I'm saying his name right. He um, he I believe was the CDC. So they both moved to a town called Joseph, 
uh, where uh, they're opening a pizzeria called The Gold Room. Um, and they brought in a whole new bunch of people, um, including Bill, who was at Quantrell on Mississippi, who had left Ava Jeans, and now he's back. Uh, his food is really, really good. Um, I think it's a, a good fit um, for him at Ava Jeans. And the pastas didn't really skip a beat. I thought they were delicious. Um, and that was impressive, because I, I, I was a little worried they'd drop off. Um, our, our mains were not as exciting when I was there for mm-hmm. this guide. And I think that I usually find that at Ava Jeans, where my favorite meals there are like some veggies and some pastas, and that's it. And that's kind of what, for me, is like, that that keeps them from being the number one surefire Italian restaurant every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Renata obviously is still a great hang. We sat in the patio with my daughters and, you know, had a, they have a three course kids menu, oh, nice. uh, like a set, set price, $15, three course kids menu. We didn't do it, but it's like noodles, chicken and, and, and a little dessert. I thought that was so cute. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many restaurants in Portland have a have a uh, pre-fee uh, uh, venue for kids, but um, anyway. So, if there's any parents listening, that that might be a fun thing to do. If you have yes. a little a little growing foodie at home, yeah. Well, a budding restaurant. I'm critic. sure. I'm sure that you are. You're you're teaching them well. So, listen. We only have like five minutes left. <laughs> and we've gotten a number two and some additional assorted other restaurants. So, uh, Coquine, uh, okay, I'm going to say I'll this. Do the, I'll do the rest of the top five really quickly. So, yep. uh, Coquine, number three, up on Mount Tabor. It's a fantastic restaurant. Um, they've been my number one the past couple of years, and uh, they you know, definitely would be a deserving number one in the future. Everything that Katie Millard and, and her partner, Sandek Podbielski, do seems to be annoyingly great and i include that in that um their pasta night that they started this year it was like a two-month-long monday night pasta night and i think it was the best pasta in the city for that two-month run um and and like oh it's so annoying chris like we were doing a corned beef hash roundup and i and i i got roped into it I, i wasn't doing it but um i got roped into helping out and of course coquine had the best damn corned beef hash in the city. Well, um, I was so going to say, let me, before yeah. you go on to another one, I, so I ha- have a wonderful girlfriend now and an, uh, that affords me opportunities to dine differently than I had been in the past. And yeah. so we also have couples friends. So now I'm going out with four people instead of myself or one other person. We went to Coquine and one night and ordered everything on the menu. We, we mixed <laughs> like two, just said, okay, not these two. Everything on the menu, and it was you couldn't have had it. You just couldn't have had a nicer night, and it was a great way to do it. And it wasn't out of the park uh, in terms of our bill wasn't out of the park. It was really nice. So, yeah, I mean it's not cheap. I mean I I found myself dropping, you know, high twos for a couple there a couple times. I mean I don't know maybe that's because I I really like Sondex taste in wine, so I'm, I'm usually asking for a bottle selection, but right. Um, I, it, to me, it's a, a near perfect restaurant. I love it, and I love kind of walking up Mount Tabor afterwards. If you don't want to work off some calories, it's mm-hmm. pretty great. Um, it's romantic. It's intimate. It's small. They're not even always busy, although you do, you know, they they do have a. I did use Talk, uh, which is not my favorite reservation system, right. but um, you know, they're they're to me still a very very elite restaurant, and. Um, and then at four, I have Longbun, which is the backroom Thai tasting menu from Earl Minsum. Mm-hmm. At five, I have Notoguro, which is a, a by invitation only, quote unquote, Japanese restaurant from 
Ryan and Elena Roadhouse. Another great uh, meal that I had not long ago. So there are some that so I've been to this yeah. year. And I think, honestly, those two, you could tell me you want to see either one of those in the top three, and I think that would be a valid argument. For me, the exclusivity of them both being ticketed restaurants where you have to kind of book plan out months in advance if you want to go, and, you know, Notoguro's price point at $195, it makes it hard for me to recommend it as the number one restaurant to a mass audience. Because for me, I just feel like even if, even if it's the best experience, which is it's right up there, who is actually going to be able to go among the subscribers to the Oregonian? Like, right. I mean, people might want to read about it, and it might be fun to have a place that exclusive. But I like that a place like Canard at number one, you could read about it, and you could go tonight and drop in, and you you know you can get a seat at the bar and have a drink. Like that appeals to me. Yeah, um, I agree. And then we said Le Pigeon at six, Castagna at seven, Saint Jack at eight, which is the uh, French restaurant in Northwest Portland. Nine is Hanok, the modern Korean restaurant, and rounding out the top ten is Ox, the Argentinian steakhouse. Um, so that's my top ten, guys. I think that it's a great list. Where would you put La Moule if you didn't have St. Jack? That's a great question. Yeah, like if La Moule existed in a world without St. Jack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they'd probably make the top 40. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And that's, these are the kind of decisions I make. I mean, Little Bird didn't make my guide this year, and they were our restaurant of the year um, less than a decade ago. So... You know, that's uh, their little bird, I should note, is going through a chef change um, at the moment. Um, so that played a role in them not being included. But, you know, you also kind of ask yourself this question, how many restaurants from the same chef or restaurant group do you include on the same guide? Little bird being the sister of Le Pigeon and Canard would make three. And, you know, I, I like to spread the love. I know I've said that before, but, you know, if I, if I included, you know, every Pock Pock, all five Pock Pock restaurants in Portland, you know, that would mean four less spaces for, you know, other um, exciting and, and deserving restaurants. Well, I think you need it. Then you just need to go to 50. So you can then have the, <laughs> the discussion and then it becomes 60 will, and then you're back up to 100. Bandwidth, I will go back to 100. I think uh, having a, a, a baby and a toddler at home uh, kind of made me decide to shrink it to 40, but I would like someday to go back to 100. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think you could do the top... I think you could do the top 40 in the next 40, and different issues, just like three months away from each other. The next Uh, 40, I like that. So, just a quick question, so you're not including any brand new restaurants. Quickly, who do you think uh, would appear next year that hasn't appeared this year because they didn't qualify uh, because they were too new? Well, I am going to plug my new restaurant guide, which is going to come out in September. Mm-hmm. It will feature the 10 best new restaurants in the city. Okay. It may feature a restaurant of the year. I have not decided on that yet. Um, it kind of depends what I find out there. Not that our restaurant of the year has to be a new place, but it has been uh, the past few years. Um, and then that comes out in September, so keep an eye out for that. This year, five restaurants from last year's new restaurant guide mm-hmm. appeared in the 40. Okay. So that was fully half of the new restaurant guide last year made the top 40. Uh, places like Canard, OK Omens, Little Conejo, uh, Bistro Agnes, which surprised me right. a little bit. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, I, 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 my first meals there, I thought it was a little tame, but they were, my uh, meal for the guide was really outstanding. Uh, that's the second restaurant from the Ox Chef. Mm-hmm. And then five is Nimblefish. So all five of those restaurants went from the new restaurant I had last year to the 40 this year. So I would say 
keep an eye out in September for the top ten. I haven't narrowed it down yet. And once you know, once you look at that list, I'm guessing that somewhere between three, four, five places from that list will end up in the forty, um, which is exciting. I mean, it's it's the most read story uh, in the Oregonian every year uh, that I do it. So kind of a big deal, and uh, I love doing it, and I know the people love it too. Cool. Well, listen, so one time, you and I have never dined together. One of those new restaurants that you're going to visit, I'd love to come out and, and eat with you. We've never done you that. You got it, man. We have a Let's fun discussion here. We could have just as fun a discussion sitting down and uh, breaking bread together. I love it, Chris. Let's do it. Okay. We'll it soon. Good okay. deal. Thank you, you so soon. much for taking the time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Court. Talk We're, to you guys again soon. Great. See you later. Bye-bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. dot